Welcome to the Folktale Project, this is Dan Charles. And today we shall see which of the three princes, Prince Hussein, Prince Ali, or Prince Ahmed, wins the hand of the princess, Nora Nihar, in part three of the story of Prince Ahmed and the Fairy Parabenu. Prince Ahmed no sooner perceived himself in Nora Nihar's chamber than he rose off the tapestry as did the other two princes and went to the bedside and put the apple under her nose. Some moments after the princess opened her eyes and turned her head from one side to another looking at the persons who stood about her and then rose up in the bed and asked to be dressed just as if she had waked out of a sound sleep. Her women, having presently informed her in a manner that showed their joy, that she was obliged to the three princes for her sudden recovery from health, and particularly to Prince Ahmed, she immediately expressed her joy to see them, and thanked them all together, and afterwards Prince Ahmed in particular. While the princess was dressing, the princes went to throw themselves at the sultan, their father's feet, and pay their respects to him. But when they came before him, they found he had been informed of their arrival by the chief of the princess's eunuchs, and by what means the princess had been perfectly cured. The sultan received and embraced them with the greatest joy, both for their return and the recovery of the princess his niece, whom he loved as well as if she had been his own daughter, and who had been given over by the physicians. After the usual ceremonies and compliments, the princes presented each his rarity. Prince Hussein, his tapestry, which he had taken care not to leave behind him in the princess's chamber, Prince Ali, his ivory perspective glass, and Prince Ahmed, his artificial apple. And after each had commended their present, when they put into the sultan's hands, they begged him to pronounce their fate and declare to which of them he would give the princess Nuranihar for a wife according to his promise. The sultan of the Indies, having heard without interrupting them all that the princes could represent further about their rarities, and being well informed of what had happened in relation to the princess Nuranihar's cure, remained sometimes silent, as if he were thinking on what answer he should make. At last he broke silence and said to them, I would declare for one of you children with a great deal of pleasure if I could do it with justice. But consider whether I can do it or no. Tis true, Prince Ahmed, the princess my niece, is obliged to your artificial apple for her cure. But I must ask you, whether or no, you could have been so serviceable to her if you had not known by Prince Ali's perspective glass the danger she was in, and if Prince Hussein's tapestry had not brought you so soon. Your perspective glass, Prince Ali, informed you and your brothers that you were like to lose the princess your cousin, and there you must own a great obligation. You must also grant that the knowledge would have been of no service without the artificial apple and the tapestry. And lastly, Prince Hussein. The princess would be very ungrateful if she should not show her acknowledgement of the service of your tapestry, which was so necessary a means towards her cure, but consider it would have been of little use if you had not been acquainted with the princess's illness by Prince Ali's glass, and Prince Ahmed had not applied his artificial apple. Therefore, as neither tapestry, ivory perspective glass, nor artificial apple have the least preference one before the other, but on the contrary, 
There's a perfect equality. I cannot grant the princess to any one of you, and the only fruit you have reaped from your travels is the glory of having equally contributed to restore her health. If all this be true, added the sultan, you see that I must have recourse to other means to determine certainty in the choice I ought to make among you, and that, as there is time enough between this and night, I'll do it today. Go, and get each of you a bow and arrow and repair to the great plain where they exercise horses. I'll come to you soon and declare I will give the princess Nornihar to him that shoots the farthest. The three princes had nothing to say against the decision of the sultan. When they were out of his presence, they each provided themselves with a bow and arrow, which they delivered to one of their officers and went to the plain appointed, followed by a great concourse of people. The sultan did not make them wait long for him, and as soon as he arrived, Prince Hussein, as the eldest, took his bow and arrow and shot first. Prince Ali shot next and much beyond him, and Prince Ahmed last of all, but it so happened that nobody could see where his arrow fell, and notwithstanding all the diligence that were used by himself and everybody else, it was not to be found far or near. And though it was believed that he shot the farthest, and that he therefore deserved the Princess Noronihar, it was, however, necessary that his arrow should be found to make the matter more evident and certain, and, notwithstanding his remonstrance, the sultan judged in favor of Prince Ali, and gave orders for preparations to be made for the wedding, which was celebrated a few days after with great magnificence. Prince Hussein would not honor the feast with his presence. In short, his grief was so violent and insurmountable that he left the court and renounced all right of succession to the crown to turn hermit. Prince Ahmed, too, did not come to Prince Ali's and the Princess Nornihar's wedding any more than his brother Hussein, but did not renounce the world as he had done. But as he could not imagine what had become of his arrow, he stole away from his attendants and resolved to search after it, that he might not have anything to reproach himself with. With this intent, he went to the place where the princes Hussein and Ali's were gathered up, and, going straight forwards from there, looking carefully on both sides of him, he went so far that at last he began to think his labor was all in vain, and yet could not help going forwards till he came to some steep, craggy rocks, which were bounds to his journey, and were situated in a barren country, about four leagues distant from where he set out. And that is the end of part three of the story of Prince Ahmed and the fairy Parabanu, and we see, well, Prince Ali has won the princess, but Prince Ahmed is not done with his tale just yet. We'll find more in book two of this story. This is Dan Scholes for the Folktale Project. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere that you like to get your podcasts. You can follow us on Instagram and threads at Folktale Project. If you'd like to help support the project, you can head over to patreon.com slash folktaleproject. Or you could always just share with the stories with someone you love. I do appreciate that. As always, thank you so much for listening.